Hello, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Rutberg. And I'm Casey Muratori. We are at the beginning of a new month, the month of May. The theme is time travel. Yes. As chosen by the voters at Molly Movie Club. And we're starting out with one of the most classic time travel movies, Back to the Future. Probably the most popular time travel movie. Yes. Possibly the best time travel movie? Um, Yeah, I mean... It's kind of hard to say because it depends on how you want to categorize time travel movies. It's not a hard, it's not like hard sci-fi time travel. Yeah, this is more like, you know, the time travel is not really that much a part of the movie in a weird way. It's more like a movie where they just wanted to play around with what happens in early in life, how that might change what happens later in life, and to just have a bunch of fun with the premise as opposed to it actually being some kind of an exploration of time travel because the movie doesn't really care about time travel very much. It's it's really just sort of like a plot device that they use. So, you know, and to its credit, I think that's one of the strengths of the movie because time travel can get really boring really fast if you want to try and talk about it accurately or explore the ramifications of it or things like that you know you end up with something like the arrival or primer and it's just like okay that's not going to be a fun blockbuster probably well i think you know we talked about this a little bit with when we talked about Lightyear. oh i forgot about terrible well, but, but that was, one but, wasn't trying well, to be what accurate I was either say, really. though, is i think i think back to the future strikes this like perfect balance between having time travel in it as a concept but also not trying to take it super seriously and so it it ends up working yeah i think a lot of movies like i think i I brought up lightyear because lightyear tries to skew a little bit too close to like actual sci-fi yeah but doesn't still doesn't take it seriously and then kind of fails but i think because back to the future never really tries to be close to hard sci-fi it just works really really well it's like you just have this time machine this awesome time machine the delorean and the flux capacitor. And it's like, you don't have to explain what it is. Exactly. It's just like the flux capacitor is a great word and it does time travel. And that's perfect. It's like, it's goofy enough and sciencey enough to like, just, you, you can just be like, okay, cool. I, I buy that completely. Right. And then it has, it has fun with time travel. Uh, this, this movie's got so much detail in it in regards to the time travel element. Right. Like the, the like twin pine, Mall becoming Lone Pine Mall. Just like small moments. Like there's so many small moments in the movie that like they have fun playing with the repercussions of things you change, right? And that's like one of the fun parts of time travel. So I think they do a great job of playing around with time travel as a concept without feeling the need to get bogged down with actual science. So I I think this is a key to the movie's success too, is that the movie like there's a there's a bad Star Trek thing that happens. One of the one of my main reasons why I have trouble with uh, things that kind of walk that line of we're sort of sciency but sort of not. Yeah. Or another way to say it would be science fiction written by people who want to hew close to the science but don't really know much about the science, it seems, or something right. like that, right? Or right. aren't engineers so they don't, like, think through all the stuff. Is that there's different ways that you can structure a story around science. And if you keep the science out of the climax and out of the important parts of the story, then you don't run the risk of the story feeling bad or falling flat uh, when the science is totally obviously stupid, right? Right. So 
I think that that uh, what aggravates me the most, and when I see like Star Trek things like this, and I'm just like, oh, this is terrible, is it's not so much that they're getting science wrong or right, or even that I care that much about the science in it because I don't really. It's more that like if the if the whole thing that the climax ends up hinging on is something sciency, but the but it's obviously stupid and doesn't mm-hmm. work with previous things you said and breaks the rules or you would have used it sooner or whatever, all those things. It just makes those climaxes feel stupid and cheap, right? With Back to the Future, the the really great part about it is the time travel it basically just doesn't matter to the climax of this film at all. It's like a classic action climax where they're racing this car and trying to plug the thing in, right? And it's just like we're trying to get the lightning to go down this line. That That's scene, it, right? Can we talk about that scene for a second, too? Oh, it's too? amazing. That but, scene is... Well, can I just finish? Because I'd love oh, to talk sorry, about the scene. Sorry, I just, sorry, yes. Well, yes. So to me, the reason that this movie succeeds so well, and I don't end up having that problem ever with it, even though it doesn't take the science seriously and doesn't try to get anything right or any of that stuff, is just because they kept that out of my attention. It's it's never the focus, right? They're never asking me to think that this time travel thing was cool that was a science thing. They're like, nah, I don't know the science flux capacitor. It's a who knows. Well, that's the thing, too, is like the way that they're trying to solve the time getting back in time problem isn't like we have to fix the flux capacitor. It's like, oh, there's just lightning and we have to like coordinate this timing thing. And it's not about the like techno babble of anything. Nobody figures out some science thing to solve this. Right. They have to plug in a cord, right? Is like the and exactly. and the DeLorean has to start. Like that's what you're yeah. that's what you're, you know, waiting for at the end of this film. And so I feel like throughout the movie they they manage to get the science out of the way because I mean either accidentally or because they knew they weren't going to do that right. They're like, this is not a movie where we're going to get science things right. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, forget that. Focus on the fact that you have to get these two people together for their high school dance. Focus on the fact that you've got to get the DeLorean to like go across this mm-hmm. thing with a lightning bolt because again, we don't care. We're not mm-hmm. going to try and come up with a science solution. We're just like, we know there's a lightning bolt that's going to strike this time. We got to get it into this capacitor. That's it. Well, right? and also just throughout the movie, thinking about as many things you can do with the fact that it's time travel as as is physically possible to fit in this movie, right? Yes. It's so packed. It's it's pretty packed with yeah. stuff. Yeah, and so like the bad version of this climax is like they think that they're not going to be able to get him back, but then Doc Brown figures out some new way that they could make this time travel work. Exactly, right? and that would just suck. So they figured out ways to turn them into traditional action climaxes that don't require anything scientific. It's just like, look, you've been told at the outset we need to get this power. That's the end of the science. There's no more. Right? It's just yep. like, and from then on, it's all simple physical things you can understand. And if you'd like to transition now, you want to talk about that action sequence. That that sequence is just, it's like hilarious. How many roadblocks mm-hmm. happen in such a short period of time? I feel like, I feel like Zemeckis is so good at this. Yeah. Where he's just like constantly having these like mini buildups and resolutions and then a new problem and then a mini, like these, these like mini conflicts. Yes. In the, in the course of this, cli- I mean, the climax of this movie is not even one thing either. It's like. This movie doesn't really have a totally traditional structure in the way you might expect, where it's like yes. you have mul- two climaxes, kind of, two different plot point resolutions. It's just, it's so fast paced and ridiculous, but it's like Marty's trying to get Doc to read the note. Doc is tearing apart the note. The tree falls and, and snaps yeah. the cable. Marty's like trying to yell up at him. 
and well, he's going to be wait, late for the DeLorean, and it's like it's and it, that's starting late. We we have to get like like uh, George McFly has to punch out Biff, and right. then he has to like kiss the girl on the dance floor, and Marty has Marty's, to play and Marty's, guitar. Marty's stuck in the trunk yeah. of a car. Yeah, and then it's like it's just it's like it's so dense. This movie, yeah. it's it's really great, and you know the. This movie is, you know, EP'd by Steven Spielberg, right? Like the up at the the front yeah. there. It's like executive producer or producer or something, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, right? And uh, and then directed by Robert Zemeckis. And so the, some of the first things you see in the credits, I remember there was like mm-hmm. those come up. And I don't know like much about Robert Zemeckis, to be honest, although I've seen a lot of his movies. But he directs these action sequences a lot like Steven Spielberg because I've said multiple times yes. on this podcast that Steven Spielberg is like the best action director probably ever. Like yeah. his action scenes are so like, you know, there's so much clarity. They're so methodically like rigorous. It's just like everyone should watch those and just be like that's how you do it. And Robert Zemeckis in this one, it's just great. Like there's so much attention to detail. We it's the opposite of a modern action movie. A modern action movie is Doctor Strange is like, oh, no, the bad guys are here. And then there's just like portals and ice beams and crap for about five minutes. And then everyone leaves. That's an act. That's a modern action right. scene. You have no idea why anyone's doing anything or what the stakes are or what anyone was even trying to do mm-hmm. other than like roughly they're kind of fighting and then it's going to be over. It's a lot like, you know. Acts being at a, a sort of bar at at one a.m. and walking out into the parking lot and seeing some drunk guys fight for a while and then go home and you're like, why am I paying a ticket price to see this, this is so dumb? Yeah. You look at some a movie like this. How meticulously is that ending set up? We get a maquette scene, right, where like he's built a little diorama yeah, yeah. of the thing, right. What is this action scene predicated on? The very beginning of the movie. It's like this clock tower has been damaged by lightning and the person gives uh, Marty a flyer, right? Yes. That says that it got struck. Why do they know when it's going to strike? Because the clock froze. So they know the exact time, right? He's got the flyer. Doc figures it out. He makes the maquette. He shows you what's going to happen, right? And they even kind of tease that it's going to go wrong because the the maquette version goes wrong. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of funny with the car like goes off and sets a bunch of rags on fire, right? Then you get to the actual scene and everything is in place. You know where everything is. You can see like, oh, Doc's going up here. Oh, there's the cable, the trees on it. You've got the car. It's going back. Everything is so clear and you're waiting on everything. You're like, is the car going to start? Is he going to hit the thing in time? Is Doc going to be able to plug in the cable? You're never like, I don't know. Some guys are punching each other or whatever. I also love the I love the really heightened, exaggerated style of this where it feels like a cartoon. Like literally like the first time he tests the time machine, the out of time license plate is spinning like left behind. It's it's. Straight out of a cartoon, right? Uh, there's so many moments like that where it's like we're watching a live action cartoon. Even the overacting of of like Doc and stuff, I love that about this. I I love the how stylized it is. Like, it's it's so definitely heightened. directed that way. And yeah. you know, honestly, a little bit. You know, it's it's not like my favorite movie or anything. And some of the reason why is just because. I think there's a bit much sometimes of some of those things. Like, there's some parts that feel a little uneven about that to me. Sometimes, like, you know, Michael J. Fox is just 
there's too much of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could see it working for some people. It doesn't really always work for me where like he's like, I'm going to be late for school. Like those kind of lines. It's like, well, no one really says that at that time. It's like they just go, oh, shit and leave. Right. Um, And so there's there's a little bit mm-hmm. too much like sort of explication in places that doesn't really fit and a little bit too much of like overacting by Michael J. Fox and so on. And sometimes that style works really well. I mean, Christopher Lloyd, for example, his performance in this is, I mean, it's what he does best, but it's absolutely perfect. And he's able to take that kind of material, meaning material where the literal thing that is happening is written into the lines Mm -hmm. like a comic book, right? He can just totally do that. And I never go, oh, that was kind of hammy or silly. It's just like he totally embodies that weird cartoon style michael j fox to me doesn't quite get there a lot of times uh george mcfly also gets there yes he and christopher lloyd get the idea that these aren't real people biff too biff too so a lot of people in fact almost everyone but the protagonist marty uh feel like they nail it and marty doesn't necessarily quite although what i will say is he has the hardest time because he's just a normal person Put into this scenario. Yeah, Everyone like else is a cartoon. To be almost like the straight man in this, with all these crazy yeah. things going on around him. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me. I kind of like that because I think it would be a little weird if he wasn't a little bit goofy. It's not bad. It's yeah. just it doesn't quite like you know. I can't complain about a single thing in Christopher Lloyd's performance. It's that perfect. Yeah. And I'm just saying, you know, I notice it a little bit with with Michael can, J. Fox. Totally he just doesn't saying. quite nail it. I'm not saying anyone could. I don't know. I don't have a better idea, right? I'm not saying like, oh, they made some stupid mistake or something. No, I'm just saying like, it. Eh. Um, whereas everyone else is like just crushing it, you know, like and like Crispin Glover doing the the ridiculous, uh, you know, George McFly. Oh, yeah. He's it's amazing. Just, amazing. You know, mm-hmm. and when when it's him and Biff. It works perfectly because yeah. they're both like overacting and doing this like yep. m- this huge performance. And Marty just doesn't always fit is the problem. Right. And, you know, to a certain extent, that works OK because he's doesn't fit. He's from the future. Right? Exactly. But on the other hand, it's like, well, that doesn't really help. You know, it's like it just kind of feels a lot. So I, I did notice that a little bit in it. Um, and I have a few other like minor complaints. I, I didn't love the like forward looking stuff that they did. I would have preferred they did that a little bit differently. Um, Forward-looking meaning? So, like, for example, I like the fact that they, you know, there's like this, the the at the beginning, you see this truck go by, and it's like, you know, uh, someone from Mayor, I don't remember his name. Uh, Goldie Wilson? Yeah, Goldie Wilson. There you go. Wow. That was a good pull. Uh, and it's like, progress is his middle name, right? And they go back in time, and he's like, just like a hired hand at like a diner, right? He's like, his boss makes him sweep the floor. And I like the fact that they have a the thing where he's like, you got you know, you gotta stand up for yourself. You can't let this this guy push you around. Um and I don't like the fact that Marty says he's gonna be mayor to that guy and he goes like mayor. I like the sound of that. I don't like the forward looking stuff because I'm like, he was already gonna be mayor, so it doesn't really make sense. It's not like you're it's not like you're going back in time and showing me the origin story of this guy and why he decided to become mayor, which would have been interesting. Instead, you're having someone tell someone they're going to be mayor, which they already were going to be. So it's not really adding anything. And there was so there was and the same thing with the Chuck Berry thing. It's like both of those things. I would have rather them just done it as 
this is sort of it's just something that was happening at that time and you witnessed it. Like, for example, you could have had that the Goldie guy have just Marty just witnesses an experience that is why he would probably become mayor, right? Think, like, and I yeah. would have liked that better. <clears throat> the same with the 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 um, band. If what had happened instead was like Marty looks and he says like, "Oh, you know, Marvin Berry." It's like you do you know Chuck Berry? And they're like, "Yeah." He's like, "Do you know Johnny Be Good?" He's like, "Yeah." We, we he was just. I mean, I played that with him a couple times, and you can't play that out here. Like, nobody understands. Like, yes, we can, or whatever, and they play it. Those things would have been more interesting to me because instead it was sort of like being, oh, these are ways in which the future got started, but we already know that's really not true because he wasn't back there originally. If he had been, then his future would have been the same when he came back to it, right? So we know that it's not a time loop. You see what I'm saying? I, so those yeah. things feel out of place to me. They just feel weird. Uh, whereas every other thing they do that way doesn't work that way. If he does something like that all the other times, it produces a change in the future. So, for example, if Goldie Wilson hadn't been going to become mayor and then he does something and he does become mayor later, then it makes perfect sense to me. Do you, you see what I'm saying? So those things feel like script weirdnesses I wish they had ironed out. But there are, there are very few of those. Yeah, I, I actually, I guess I don't really feel that way about it. Uh, I feel like this movie definitely is a little bit heavy-handed on the side, uh, on the on oh, the sure, sort of yeah. like explaining things to you. Like you even mentioned, like Marty's like, "I'm going to be late for school." There's a lot of and that, and I'm like, yeah. "That's just the way this movie is." I think in the end, that ultimately helps the movie because I think there's so many details in it that if they weren't super explicit about them, you'd miss like so much. Uh, I like the way that they are like making sure to show you all of these things uh, that connect the past and the future. Because I'm not thinking about it as because of what we talked about earlier, where it's not like a hard sci-fi thing. Because of that, I'm not thinking of it in the really nitpicky time travel way anymore. I'm like, oh, yeah, he maybe planted the idea in Goldie Wilson's head to run for mayor. That's totally fine to me, right? That doesn't bug me. But we know he didn't because Goldie Wilson became mayor anyway. Well, and yeah, maybe he would have become there anyway. But like, so just, it's just, that's what I'm saying. It's just not that interesting. It's like it's almost like it's doing something. It's almost like they wrote a draft where Goldie Wilson wasn't mayor, and that scene is what like maybe you know you could imagine a draft of this movie where in the original future Goldie Wilson is some guy who Michael J. Fox has a conversation with at the outset, like he has a conversation with lots of people at the outset, and he's not mayor, but he's lamenting the fact that he could have done something with his life or whatever. Right. And then he goes back in time and they have some interaction. He comes forward and, you know, then he's mayor. Right. It's like, OK, that makes perfect sense to me because that's the way the rest of the things in the movie work. It's like Marty goes back in time. He changes some things about the past. And then we come forward and see that, like, those things were all mostly for the best. Right. They, like, improved the situation for his family when we see them back again. Right. And so it's just it feels odd when I'm paying attention. I'm like, wait, that doesn't feel right. It's like it's doing a different thing here and I don't quite get it. So, you know, or another thing would be like you go forward and, and suddenly, uh, you know, the, the guy who was mayor is now senator or something. Right. So he like I mean, he I boosted guess. it. Right. But that's so a, that, I, that, it just doesn't feel right to me. I don't know. I could ask the movie club if they also noticed that. But I did. I noticed it and I was like, eh. yeah, it doesn't bother me because for me, it's just sort of fun time travel filler. If I that, guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Where it's like. That's why I was talking about the density of stuff, where it's like, there's so many things the where destiny Marty... destiny of stuff? The, the destiny... It was kind of both. Yeah. I'm your density. Yes. Um, Kind of like both, right? Where it's like, there's so many moments where Marty is having an impact. And I'm not... Yeah, I'm not like thinking about it as 
as critically as that, I guess. Like, I didn't think about the Goldie Wilson thing. It seems fine because he's like, maybe he would have become mayor anyway. Like, it's not necessarily that Marty put the idea in his head, like, at the moment. Well, it's right? definitely not. We know it's not because he was mayor before we but went But I'm just back. saying yeah. it shows that he's the kind of, you, you can already see that he has the personality for it. Right, like, that's why I said, like. He's already, like, yes. you got to stand up for yourself. It's like, it, you know, it just gives you a, that fun moment of, like, Marty getting to interact with somebody I just would you have know. preferred it, like like I said, I would have preferred it if they had streamlined those a bit, right? Even if it was just like, instead of saying it to him, he says it offhand to the to the uh, owner guy or, or whatever, right? So it's like, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, he's going to be mayor someday. And it's like, what? You know, like, forget it. Uh, so, you know, I, I just didn't like those scenes because they didn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm like, okay, that's a little bit weird. Um, but mostly the rest of the stuff doesn't work that way, right? Most of the stuff is really good about sort of the things that we're paying attention to are things that will actually be changed in the future. So there, when he's doing things like that, it actually produces a different future and then it makes perfect sense what's going on in this, mm-hmm. right? And I think one so, of the yeah. funniest examples of, like of little things was the, is the like pine thing because it's like the, yeah. the, the clarity in the directing is like so good in that scene where he's leaving like the barn in the DeLorean and he like it, I think it's like the Spielberg style directing like you were talking about where it's like there's these two pines right yeah. next to each other and he hits one of them yeah. and then the farmer's like, my pine. It's like yeah. it's so over the top and so yeah. exaggerated all for this little moment at the end yeah. where the mall is called Lone Pine. Like it's yeah. just I love that. I love that the attention to detail. Well, the Lion Estates is kind of that way, too. It's not a modified one, but you see that like when their home was first being built, we see that it's like. It, it it it's these like big lions with these two gates. They they show a nice shot of that when he's going there mm-hmm. originally, right? So you could see like, oh, that's where he lives. And then later we see that they've only got just those two up, and it's like now accepting like per- you know purchases for these homes. Yeah, yeah. They have all of those things that would be very easy to miss all of them, but because the directing, like I said, takes so much time to like make sure you get it. Which is important in a movie like well, this because the there's so much stuff. And the difference in the town between the 50s and the 80s yep. is is so well done. And What's at the movie theater? Yeah. What kind of cars are they driving? And it's so... What are the people wearing? It's like a cartoon. Again, yes. you know, the, one of the craziest things I was thinking while watching this movie is how it manages... Like, it's, ha- it's, it's made in the 80s, but somehow it manages to, like, capture and, like, cartoonify the 80s in this amazing way. It does. Which is feels like it's hard to do like it feels like it's hard to capture the essence of a time period when you're in it yeah yeah and that was so crazy to me that they managed to stylize and exaggerate and almost like caricaturize a time period while they're making the movie the time period of the moment um like power love is playing and he's like riding the skateboard on the back of the car he's looking over there's like a aerobics class going on and it's like it's just like you you were supposed to like and the vet the puffy vest yeah it's like it's like if you wanted to make a caricature of the 80s this is what you would do and it's just cool that they did it at the time that's that's really impressive and you know the 50s was the same way it's like it's a caricature of the 50s and it's it's so much fun this movie is is right in like the heyday of like blockbuster movies yeah i would call it and i think what's kind of like this is the kind of movie i think where it's perhaps easy for people to understand why i constantly say they've totally lost the ability to make blockbusters anymore yeah because if you go back to this time period and you look at what you were getting for blockbusters in this time period in the span of like five or six years or something you had like Terminator 
Empire Strikes Back, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or I think it would have been Last Crusade, for example, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, the protagonists and the creativity in these films. Sarah Connor is a waitress at the start of the film. Mm -hmm. Marty McFly is a slacker who plays guitar and rides a skateboard around town. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Venkman, Egon Spengler, right? They're like random sort of failed scientists who decide that they're going to hunt ghosts for a living. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at the kind of like stuff that you got to go to the movie theater and see, it was so incredibly creative and interesting and the stories were all very like coherent like there there just wasn't a lot of just i don't know we put a bunch of random crap on the screen that's just completely generic they're also all different yeah they're all they're all telling totally different stories and with totally different characters coming from very different backgrounds who have no inherent special abilities they're just people who get thrown into crazy imaginative scenarios. Mm -hmm. And the difference between looking at that and looking at what we have today, it's really just embarrassing for Hollywood. Like, they are out of ideas. It is very clear, right? Like, it's over. Um, And I guess, I don't know if that is a systemic problem with them. It might be. It might be that the good writers are now writing for television. I could totally believe that. Uh, Or maybe it's that they just had, you know, this crop of people that was like at that time there was just a really great group of people working in Hollywood. And sometimes that happens and they end up doing great stuff. And then when those people are gone, it's over. Right. And I don't know. But either way, I mean, hopefully it kind of illustrates the point. You look at this movie and you look at like even even a movie which you may which would be on the high end of people's ratings like the batman which we reviewed recently mm-hmm. it's like a, that's like the modern blockbuster from like last year or something trying mm-hmm. to think of like what the recent ones were there's nothing in the movie it's the exact same stupid batman stuff you've seen a million times and maybe they did it p- pretty polished it was a good looking film right but there's nothing in that movie that, yeah. that you haven't seen before not a single scene. There's nothing. You wouldn't be like, oh, my God, you'll never believe this movie I saw. It's so cool. It's about these four dudes who, like, decide to build these weird proton packs and go, like, hunting ghosts in, a, in New York yeah, City. Yeah. And the giant state puff marshal It's like, no, there's none of that stuff, right? But we had a period where there was a solid decade where you got nothing but that level of creativity. When you went to the movies to see the blockbuster. You're not going to some weird French film, like, nonsense, crazy art stuff or something. This is a blockbuster. This is what everyone lined up to see. And it's that creative and interesting. Yeah. And I think Back to the Future is a classic example from that time period. Not one of my favorite movies from that time period, but it's a great example of just, like, this is just what they did. You got one or two of these every year which is insane if you think about it. Because nowadays we don't get one of these... Ever. Every 15 years if we're lucky. Yeah. It's so iconic too. I mean, like the many... DeLorean the DeLorean and the 88 miles an hour and the skateboarding and, and the... Yeah. Well, and just Doc and Marty. I mean, like, they're so iconic. There's also, uh, I think, a lot of great... There's a lot of great meticulous stuff in this. I love, for example, the opening scene of this movie. It's just a pan over, like, clocks after mm-hmm. clocks after mm-hmm. clocks. 
And then we just see, like, you know, Marty McFly walks in and he wants to play guitar. And it is literally like a minute or or two of him turning things on. Mm -hmm. And it's so well done that it's so it's like engrossing to watch him like turn each dial and flip each switch. And you hear the like buzz getting like word like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he finally does it and he flies backwards, it's such a satisfying little like three minutes they didn't have to do. There's no need for that scene, right? It's just they wanted an interesting opening to establish who this person is. Well, and like, and then and his, what Doc is and like, and then Doc calls mm-hmm. and he's tell, yeah, he's like, oh, don't yeah. plug in the amp. Yeah, he's and, like, I'll keep that in mind. No, it's yeah. it's it's so good. It's so good. It's so it's so good. And so you know, I would say like this is just one of those movies that when I go back and watch it, it makes me sad because it reminds me that like this was what a summer blockbuster was. Yep. Back when people had ideas and they cared about the screenplay, right? You got creative stuff like this. And now, I mean, it's really – it's just so sad because I don't think there's any practical impediment to making movies like this. It's just, And we now know they're much easier to make than they were then, although, you know, unfortunately, they still seem to make pretty low-quality action sequences. But it's just the writing. They just don't start with good writing anymore. And and I know for a fact in this movie that it's not like it's just somebody's brilliant idea. It's work because the original version of this screenplay, if you go look, I've looked at it, it's the time machine is like, I don't remember, it's like a closet or something. So they worked on it. They were like, let's make this more interesting. What could we do here? Like there was actual brainstorming and they turned it into a DeLorean. How important is that to this movie? It's, it's critical, critical. It's critical. Right? Yeah. That last action scene, they never would have gotten the kind of amazing stuff they got out of the, the feeling of watching this movie um, with the great Alan Silvestri score. Oh, the score is and incredible, yeah. And all obviously. of that stuff coming together at the end with the lightning and yeah. Doc and Marty and the like the uh, the note and the lightning. Well, and the, even the, and effect, the, car. the effect of the time travel is so cool, too. The visual it's effect be- of with it. The, with the burning skid marks. Well, and, and almost the like, the, ha- it's almost, it looks like the effects yeah. look like hand-drawn, like yeah. spark animation effects on yeah. the car. And then the... the, the they the, might be. It was really flame, early. Yeah. The flame trail. Like it, It's so iconic. And so, you know... That was an example of people caring about the writing. They didn't just start filming this movie. Like, the way they do it now from documentaries that I watch and I'm horrified by is they just start making the movie without even anyone revising scripts at all. They just kind of, like, start. And they're like, I don't know. What should the time machine be? Like, three months into filming, someone's wondering what the time machine's going to be. You're like, are you joking? And they're like, nope. They're not joking. That's really how they do it. They just don't care. And so I do think, like, there's some pretty clear, like, process differences, it would seem, where it's like, man, uh, I don't know. Like, it's really, really sad. But anyway, back to Back to the Future. I don't know how much else there really is to say about the film. I don't know if you have other things you wanted to talk about. No, I mean, I think it's it's one of those movies that's almost hard to talk about because it's so... It's so classic and everyone's seen it like I've seen it like so many times and it's just great. Like it's I, I it's hard to have something negative to say about a movie that's so impactful like culturally and has yeah. such staying power. It's like this movie basically did everything right because, you know, we're still talking about it today. Everyone knows Back to the Future today. And uh, it's during the heyday where Robert Zemeckis was really doing a great job with these sort of 
action adventure movies. Uh, he went on to direct shortly after this, I think, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is exactly the same as uh, as Back to the Future. It feels like exactly the same thing, and it cu- plays out exactly as well, right? It takes this high concept that's a lot of fun, and it has all the fun with it, and it does everything very meticulously so that it just feels great. And it has the same kind of ridiculous climaxes where it's like three things after mm-hmm. another of, of you know, like, oh, it's not still not over, right? Like, yep, yep. Uh, And, you know, during that time period, he was making some really great stuff along these lines. The, and these two movies in particular are the ones that stand out to me. Um, Back to the Future was also an interesting film at that time because it followed this weird pattern where the first movie in the, in, in the series was fantastic and iconic the second installment was terrible uh and then the third installment was good again yeah so it was very much like raiders in this way yeah where it's like very good not so good very good again uh the third back to the future is actually another really good film but Mm -hmm. two was almost unwatchable (laughs) um you know what's funny too is i think even if they had never done a sequel the ending is like perfect yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun ending. It's a fun. Yeah, it's car. a fun ending. Like the yeah. adventure continues. Yeah, and you never need to actually tell that story. It's. It would have been better if they hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's ex- it's exactly right. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I mean the I guess what I'd say is watch one and and probably watch three. I would I would recommend watching three. We didn't, but in this for the podcast, but I mean I'm uh, assuming most people. Three is these. a great <laughs> is a is a great revisit of the same idea. Uh, and this time, uh, I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's basically just does all the same stuff again. It goes like, oh, wait, we need to go 88 miles an hour. But they end up back in the Old West. And so the only thing that could possibly go that fast is a modified train. Because there's no, like, they don't have any car that could go that fast. It's completely impossible, right? Uh, and so they get the same kind of awesome sequences where they're trying to do a climax where they're trying to get the thing. Yep, yep. This time, it's just how do we get to 88 miles an hour, right? Um, and so there's all these sorts of things like that. Uh, they I mean, do again, the, the and genius, it's great. The genius of the of the DeLorean as a time travel yeah. device is it's like hard to overstate how important that is. Yes, because the like it gives you these incredible storytelling constraints. Basically, it helps you create great stories out of out of the entire concept of it. Well, and I think so. the The way that I would also characterize a lot of these films that were so great in the 80s and was it's almost I feel spoiled I didn't know at the time like this is just why I keep trying to hammer this home it's hard to understand the difference if you were a child and every year in the summer when you were on like summer vacation or whatever you would go to the movies that year and see one of these you don't know that this is the only time in history that that will ever be true, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Like, I literally lived as a child through the only time in history that every time, every summer, there would be a movie that just absolutely blew your mind and was amazing in that creative way. And it really is, it's like, nobody else will ever get that, <laughs> I don't think, unless unless movies has a rebirth, right? Because it's like... Yeah, that's it. It never happened. It happened that one time and it never happened again. And when I look back at those movies, they have this really unique characteristic that people don't do anymore. And that is that the collection of things that define the circumstance are truly, truly 
incoherent when placed together in a normal sentence. <laughs> a skateboarding guitarist who travels back to the future in a DeLorean that has to go 88 miles an hour using a plutonium-fueled flux capacitor is a ridiculous theory of things of things stuck together. All these movies follow that. It's a archaeology professor who goes to foreign countries to find lost artifacts using a whip and a gun to fight Nazis. It's almost like you're throwing right? things at a dartboard or something. It's like, what are the ideas? Like, what are the random words yeah. we're throwing together? If it came, so if people used Jeep Chat GPT to come up with their movie scripts, they would complain that it was broken. When it came up with these things, they'd be like, oh, look at how crappy this AI is. It thinks this is going to be a great movie if there's a Nazi with like, if there's, if there's Nazis and an archaeologist fights them with a whip and a gun. Like, what are you talking? It's so dumb. But now we know, no, actually, that's brilliant. And when you pull together a movie and you make a great film out of these truly bizarre like things that you put into your witch's cauldron and stir it around, the result is so much more magical than the very, like, I don't know, there's a guy who flies around in a cape again, right? Some of those things would have been original the first time. So yeah. if you went back in time and no one had ever heard of a superhero and you go like, oh, it's this guy who wears tights and a red cape and he can shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly around, you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right? Oh, and he works at a newspaper. Well, I right? think it's a novelty of you know like, I mean? it was a novelty of like the those original uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, when, it's, when it's the first time. And then it's like, okay, now we get that. So now I, it's not it's not new anymore, right? It's the same as making a new Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. That's I like, mean, I think, uh, I think it seems to me like the, the major difference in philosophy of filmmaking for pop culture is like new ideas versus let's make the same thing that worked Again, before. Again, yeah. And it's, it, maybe it's the risk aversion. I think it's right? risk aversion, but, yeah, yeah. And so that's really unfortunate because it means now we're just stuck in this rut where I'm just seeing the same thing every year. It's not new. I if If last year it was a guy in tights running around punching people, this year it's also a guy in tights running around punching people and next year it's also a guy running around right blah 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 well, this right? is, i mean this is one of the reasons that for example like everything everywhere all at once i really like that movie for it this reason yeah. because it felt different and yeah. it's like yeah maybe it didn't nail every aspect uh but at the end of the day i don't care about that because i'm just happy that it I, exists yes. and was made and like and we do get movies like that sometimes i think that's one of the reasons why people loved it so much and and i liked it too what i think we both said watching it was just a joy is because it wasn't the same crap yeah right it wasn't the same thing you were seeing and so it brought back some of that you know that 80s movie feel of like it was the fun of the of seeing the fun of new see- things yes the fun of seeing new and creative things that you weren't already thinking of when you walked into the theater right yeah. it's like i didn't guess the you know, thing with the sausage fingers and all that stuff, right? Like, I wasn't thinking that when I walked in the theater, but when I saw the movie, it had that in it, and I was so giggly when that happened, right? Because exactly. it's, right? And so I do think that, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe because that movie was successful, maybe some creative stuff will start getting greenlit and we will get more. I doubt it. But, like, hey, that's a good point. That was a movie where someone actually put some new stuff on the screen. That movie was a good omen, and it would be great if that foretold something rather than just like, uh, yeah, that, that was a movie, and now we're never going to hear about that again, like, yeah. right? which might be what happens. But, I mean, it's, in this, it's a very... Back to the Future is super nostalgic for so many reasons, and it's a great movie. 
And I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I have really anything else to say about it. Do you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you all know it's great. I mean, I'd love to hear from somebody who doesn't like Back to the Future. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe tonally, it's just not some people, some people's cup of tea. But it does read. It reads like a comic book, right? I mean, that's how it it plays. Yeah. And if you don't like that, you're not going to like it. It's not subtle. Oh, it's not subtle. It's the no. opposite of subtle. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I feel like starting out strong. Yeah. Time travel month. So next week, and honestly, the next three weeks really are going to tonally be very different and skew much more toward harder sci-fi. Uh, so next week is going to be Looper. Is Ryan Johnson right? Uh yes. I have not seen that. Movie. Oh, you haven't. Okay, that's going to be interesting. What are the other movies in this? What, what was? I don't actually know what they are. You're um, the one who maintains the. You're you are the one who rules the movie club with an iron fist. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess just to, just to let people know because this is yeah, a free episode. That's so true. To what to look forward to? So next week week is Looper. Okay. The following week is Primer. Okay. And the final week is Edge of Tomorrow. So if you are a free subscriber and you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous free episodes, consider subscribing. That's right. Or don't. You can't get higher quality movie commentary than this. I mean, you probably can. You probably can, but you might not. I mean, I don't know. You might not know where. Do what you want. You know, listen to us, don't listen to us. It's fine. We're not going to take it personally if you don't listen to us. No, we're not going to take it personally. We just like talking about movies. We do. It's true. And we're going to. So we'll hopefully see you here for that. If not, we'll see you for the next one. Free episode, I mean. Until then, everyone. See you on the internet. See you on the internet. And watch some movies, but good ones. Good ones. Not not the new ones. Or bad ones, whatever. If you like it. I mean, watch the movies you enjoy. Yeah, we're not going to tell people what to do. Yeah, I am. But they don't have to listen to me. Oh, good point. Good point. All right. Bye. Bye.